0: Hello, hello, it's good to be back. Good to be back. Hello, hello, it's good to be back. Did you miss me? Did you have my posters on your wall? I think that's the lyrics, isn't it? Um, Gary Glitter? Too early for a... Gary reverence. That might be the most topical thing that my brain can manage to muster. Welcome to Agitators Anonymous. I'm Alan Averill, your hostess with the leastest, a heavy metal singer in a complicated and confusing world trying to make some sense of the things that he does not understand as his brain capacity and power diminishes, diminishes by the day. The last day of a tour... Uh, Promodio just finished the Ultima Ratio tour with Paradise Lost, Omnium Gatherum, and Harry Key for the Sky, and very successful it was too, and I'll talk a little bit about that today, amongst other things, about how being on tour is like living in a bubble, and then somebody just pricks that bubble, and then the whole thing comes crashing down. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash alanaverill. There's no tears, because I haven't quite figured out how to do that yet. Maybe I should. Maybe I should, but there's other content over there, podcasts, songs, all kind of things. Um, The podcast is sponsored as ever by Metal Blade Records. You can go to IndieMerch.com, Metal Blade Records, and you can get 10% off your order. Just follow the links in the description below and you can get there. You probably need that bastard olive green. bastard Irish green version of the new Primordial album, how it ends. It's very strange now to actually sort of sit and take in um, some of the noise surrounding the record because we went on tour more or less exactly as the record came out. And what I want to really talk about is, um, well, how you you just become all of a sudden living within this bubble. And um, so the album comes out. And with the best of intentions of keeping up with interviews, keeping up with emails, keeping up with correspondence with people, it all just falls away. It's incredible, actually. It's almost like going back in time because... When you're on tour every day, um, there's so much stuff happening, so many people, there's so many things to be. um, You can sit in the backstage and just stare at your phone if you want, or you can go down and take part in the load in, loading all the gear in because you're bringing your gear from venue to venue. You can, there's someone to talk to, there's something to do. It's literally almost kind of like a social media detox. Now, of course, it encourages many other bad behaviours, um, various rock and roll behaviours, although less and less so as we all approach uh, middle age and beyond even. Um, but it can be easy, of course, to stay up all night drinking and talking nonsense, etc. Et you can hear from my voice. I've got that Barry White voice thing going on. Another modern cultural reference, Barry White. Yes, uh, him and Gary Glitter. Uh, that would have been a tour, wouldn't it? Anyway, um... I mean, there would have been no arguments in the backstage, I suppose. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that it can go one of a couple of ways on tour. You can um, do what um, some people do and get up and go running. Actually, I did go running on a couple of days. And for the first two thirds of the tour, my intentions, um, please, Lord, do not let me be misunderstood. My intentions were pretty good. Um, I was out running. I was up early. I was loading in. And then as the home straight appears and you get to the last couple of days, you kind of go, well, I've made it this far. It'll be fine. And of course, the last day in Utrecht, Tivoli, great venue, never been there before. Really interesting way. It's all it's like a kind of semicircle. It's almost like um, like a Roman amphitheater. Primordial never really did that well in Holland. Always okay, okay, But our main market was always Germany. Um, But, you know, this is a beautiful venue and this was the day where my voice chose to have a little wobble. I'd done, um, to that point, about the best I think I've ever done with the singing. Um, It helps to have a shorter set, but also using in-ears for the first time, in-ear monitoring, which is kind of strange. It sort of separates you from... um, separates me um, from you, the rabble beyond the barrier. Um, No, it's basically like having your monitors just in your ears. However, what am I talking about? But that was the last day and the last day has always got this incredible feeling of ennui ennui this kind of gloom and depression that sets over you because you realize oh i'm back to real life now tomorrow i'm back to sitting on the couch right now staring out the window at the rain which is exactly what i can see out my window um for here is a lashing sideways rain as um if you've been on been visiting to ireland you'll know that's our speciality Um, Other places are colder, but you won't feel the wind chill factor with lashing sideways rain quite like you can in Ireland. Um, And it's not hard to see why many musicians who come off tour um, literally can't deal with it, because you go from having um, days which are filled with so many different colours and faces and personalities and conversations and laughs and uh, it forms a camaraderie between a group of people who are all kind of codependent on each other it has a sort of well a very organic structure well I mean we're all human beings aren't we therefore organic Um, I don't recognise any AI bots among us quite yet Um, although then again if this whole thing is some sort of matrix like construction perhaps none of it's real anyway but um, you, you form a camaraderie, a bond with everybody who's on the tour and it's really strange because um, you take, say, a guy a guy like Matthias from Harry Curry for the Sky you see him every day for 19 days um, and that's sometimes more days in a year than I see my old, some of my oldest friends in Ireland so you're in this really pressurised environment um, and it can be um, you really have this incredibly personalized habit forming uh, experiences where uh, with somebody who you were a total stranger with a week before, uh, somehow you find yourself um, standing um, mano a mano in the changing room and, um, you know, toweling yourself off. You can imagine the scenario. You can imagine the scenario discussing, um, you know, agriculture in the 1920s or something like this or maybe not. Or more personal things than that. But what you do is you go from this incredibly pressurized, um, very intense environment, back to nothing. Back to just sitting on the couch. And of course, you need a couple of days to compress. And that last show, that last day, that's constantly on my mind. Um, Some people look forward to going home. Not me. I could have done another two, three, four weeks. Or or just stayed out there. I had no real desire for it all to end. Some people, um, for them, two weeks is enough. And they want to come back home. They want to get back to, to real life and normal stuff. But... There is something a little bit different from when you are the front man, the singer, and um, maybe then, say, if you're the bass player, or the guitar player. I think there's a slightly different mental thing going on there because you're not actually... And um, when you're the singer, you're also the front man, I suppose. Um, depending on who you are, you're the focus of some kind of attention. Whereas, of course, when you are a technician playing an instrument, you have to concentrate on all of the technical stuff that goes into the nuts and bolts of the song that you're playing at that time. It's not necessarily about posturing or about um, being the the focus of attention. So I suppose there is a slightly different takeaway, different responsibility and a different thing that you take from tour slightly. And, you know, I've had my diva moments, um, but less and less so as I grow older, that's for sure. But coming home to sitting on the couch and staring at the window can be very discombobulating. Is this the first podcast you've heard this week that has used the word discombobulate? I would imagine and hope so. Yes, sir, that's the kind of... That's the kind of... Every day is a learning day. Every day is a... um, Anyway. Yes, so it takes a couple of days for my voice to uh, recover. To be honest, I couldn't have done this podcast um, a couple of days ago because my voice wasn't quite ready for it because I hit it pretty hard in the sense that I sing quite hard. And then I'm always talking about nonsense. So imagine how many other podcasts of nonsense um, are um, expunged from my my vassals, my empty vassals um, every day. Tons. I should have just been recording everything. I probably was, probably somewhere there in my phone. Um, is um, it's harboring many deep dark secrets. But the point is, you come home. The last day is always brutal, and on the last tour that we did in Sweden, I choose I chose to not go home in the morning because what happens is you load everything out, you say, you know, you're uh, many many goodbyes to everybody you've just been in this tiny little sardine tin with for the last three weeks, and then you're driven um, from there. Uh, with all your bags to a hotel. You always forget things. You're tired. You're, you're a bit sweaty and cranky and irritable. And you look at the clock and it's like, OK, you've got to get up for your flight in three hours. And your head is still buzzing from playing the last gig. You're trying to still take in and process the events of the previous couple of weeks. And then, you know, the alarm goes and up you are and out and at home. Now, some people like to get home early. I'm not sure. Sometimes I think it's best to have the hotel room for two days and just sleep through that whole other day, cope with the blues and the darkness. Um, Speaking of blues and darkness, we were playing um, Mark Lanigan after we finished every night. Uh, I don't know if the uh, you guys know the album Funeral Blues. Beautiful, but we chose to play that after we finished every night. If you were wondering what that was that you heard, that was Mark Lanigan, Funeral Blues. Because sometimes what happens is, and it's in our, it's in our rider, actually, as Promodio, you're not really allowed to play your own music before and after primordial plays. Because you finish your gig and a local DJ wants dun, 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 straight after you play. And here uh, maybe is he or she are like bored with Primordial playing for an hour and a half, and they go, "Well, fuck this band. I want some real heavy metal." Or they they play White Zombie or some other some other awful stuff. Um, after you finished, as a point to make a point, or you get somebody who's who's trying to make a point, like, "Hey, well, I'm going to play Abba after you play because it's been kind of comical to me." In our contract, in our um, in our agreement with you as the local promoter, it says, if you do this, you're going to be in trouble. Now, what kind of trouble? It doesn't specify. But we've been playing Mark Lanigan, and it seemed to bring, to decompress the situation perfectly before the next person steps up to the plate um, and does the sound for uh, Paradise Lost and can then turn Mr. Lanigan off. Anyway, I digress. What am I talking about? So anyway, yeah, the previous tours I had decided I'm going to sleep off the sun and go home on the Monday. I'm not sure which is better, which is easier. But certainly after three hours sleep, I was sitting in Amsterdam airport, pushing around a 28 euro breakfast. I kid you not. Um, A bottle of water, a glass of orange and a breakfast, 28 euro. Um, It baffles me how, uh, well, I know why, of course, but airports feel they are like a completely different... Um, entity compared to everywhere else. Although having said that, um, you could probably go outside on my street now and find yourself a 28 euro breakfast um, and get some free uh, slam poetry to go with it. Um, but try and see a rock and roll band on a Saturday night. Why I order. <laughs> anyway, so you get back to Dublin at like midday and you're sitting on your couch at just after midday or two in the afternoon, just like staring out the window, ears kind of ringing. I did have an incredible experience with uh, my ears, my in-ears in Budapest. Um, Something with the desk or something happened and there was a, um, what would you say? People came in from outside the venue, they thought there'd been an explosion. The noise was so loud and this was a huge venue and that was right in my in-ears. So if that was the last tour you ever saw me on because my um, hearing has been um, permanently damaged, um, or, you know, well, enjoy it. Or if I just ignore you at the bar, it's because I can't hear you. Or maybe I'm just using it as an excuse to not um, acknowledge people. One of those three uh, situations is probably transport. No, I would imagine I do have some hearing damage after it. It was absolutely insane. I jumped about three or four feet in the air, went, Aah! made a kind of strange noise and then uh, ran off. It felt like I'd been hit in the head with an iron bar. Um Uh, Which uh, has never happened to me. I've been hit hit in the head with a table, but that's a long story. Anyway, um, that's probably what's wrong with me, to be honest with you. So you're home, you sit and you stare out, you stare out the window at the rain um, and you have to try and process all of the, you know, all of the things that have happened over the previous couple of weeks. Um, I'm not a person. I, I go with the best of intentions with my GoPro and all my stuff going, yep, yeah, I'm going to make cool little videos and edit this and edit that and do this and that and the other for social media. And I always with the best of intentions, it always just like the book I brought about the Spanish Civil War. It always just sits in my bag looking at me. And instead, um, I turn to Matias America for the sky and go M- mix me a Gatorade and vodka there, young man. And Uh, Let's talk about bodily uh, ablutions, you know, it's um, with the best of intentions. The road to hell is paved, I suppose. Um, So there will be a full uh, debriefing of the of the tour, I suppose, venue by venue and all that kind of thing. But I'm going to put that as a Patreon uh, only podcast if you want to go over there and have a look at it. Um, Shameless plugging, shameless plugging. Um, actually, that's probably some sort of explicit X-rated video, I would imagine. Is it with the same title? I don't know. You look it up. Tell me what you see in the comments. Um, so you return home. You return home and you know, end up staring at the window. And it's a very um, discombobulating experience because what you've done is you've created this bubble within which you live for the previous three weeks. Um, the biggest tour I think I did was maybe 47 days, all in all, sleeping in a little coffin. Um, you know in the little coffin bunks going from one tour to another to another um, and that was completely disorientating um you miss people's birthdays you don't see your friends um you know because this was in a year where there was all every other every weekend i was literally away and i like it that's what i want i mean you don't start a band and then complain about god damn it i'm tired in another airport yeah it, it gets harder as you get older but this is why you start a band, I think, to be in a room with other people, to be traveling, to be moving. Oh, and very soon they're going to have little limits on those things. But that's not what this podcast is here to discuss. Um, I did have to record this podcast, actually, in the hour of the, the lunch break of the demolition teams that are around me. My street in my city is being pounded to dust. They have literally knocked over an entire, um, not, not a block, I don't really quite know what a block is, but a quarter of a block, a huge build building that was at the end of my street has been leveled and they are pounding the ground. So you have to choose the hour where the, uh, the pounders, the, 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 the guys controlling those pounding machines, maybe there's nobody controlling them, I don't know. Anyway, maybe it's remote, who knows? Um, Uh, they pound the ground so from about 7.45am dog 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 is what you hear my friend does um, an industrial festival called Tower Transmissions um, and I often thought maybe I should go out uh, with a recorder and record the the early morning um, you know industry of pounding that's happening on my street and then uh, ask him can I, I do a set at his festival and maybe just play the sounds of of that. I, I mean, could that be possible? Is that within is that within the remit of industrial music? Anyway, from seven forty five a.m., um, I lie in bed and I hear <laughs> the whole street is literally shaking. Um, so I have to choose um, the moment right now. Um, their lunch break where they. I guess like everybody else may, but I suppose they're not if they're, if they're Autobots or whatever, but they all stop for an hour to um, eat hang and cheese sandwiches um, and drink some Bovril or whatever. Um, you paint the scene yourself. Um, and that's when you have to record the podcast. Otherwise, you would hear in the background. It will be quite an interesting, an interesting backdrop. Anyway, I digress, as is my want. So you are sent home. And you have to process all the sights and the sounds and everything else. And like I said, I go with the best intentions of making cool content. And then the video for How It Ends comes out. And the numbers just go through the roof um, without any even links or posting from the band or anything. We don't do anything because we're on tour. And, and the video just comes out. And so all the work we did for the previous two videos, this one has way more views. And you think to yourself, just do, are, am I really a cog in the machine or just an imaginary cog in the machine? I'm not really helping anything along. It seems like, seems like um, I'm interfering with the process of anything. Um, so anyway, by the way, the video for How It Ends was made by Killian Monson, who made uh, The Victory of a Thousand Fathers. Um, but that's a different story. But you live in a bubble. Um, you kind of end up detoxing, as I said, from the news. Uh, as someone who took took in a lot of news, a lot of podcasts, a lot of stuff, you just stop. And, um, I mean, so there are some people, of course, who sit in the backstage um, and just work on music or just do things quietly. Um, I do not, into the night, go quietly. And so most of my day is spent, um, you know, talking up a storm with people. Or, yeah, I mean, of course, there are nights where I'm, like, say, the Vienna gig where I played without um any alcohol imbibed at all um, i do i don't play gigs drunk um i do have a drink on stage usually to take the uh, the edge off as they say but this was a completely sober gig and i was in, in bed asleep by like midnight um, and this can happen because sometimes you have to disappear every now and again um it's a strange thing being on tour because you have to be sometimes supremely selfish with the things the expectations that other people have of you. If I finish that gig and I feel like if I don't go to sleep now my voice is not going to be ready for tomorrow, um you can't do 15 goodbyes and ah oh, come on stay we traveled from here. Ah oh, come on come on no don't don't come on have another drink blah, blah blah because I know my willpower when somebody goes ah come on we're going to an Irish pub or have a Guinness it is my my willpower is limited. And so um what you have to do is be very selfish with your time sometimes. And it does piss people off because people have come to hang out with you sometimes, or, um, but if I hear. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? Uh, uh, as you can hear in my voice, if I have that, um, I think to myself, you know what, tomorrow I'm not going to be able to sing, so I need to disappear. I need to turn my phone off and disappear. Um, and then you have turned your phone in the morning and you've like missed like 18 calls because people are looking for you because it's Saturday night. Um, and they're looking for you to come out and party, but it's not always possible. Sometimes you have to be very selfish with your time and your space and um, your hydration but you live in a bubble and it sometimes reminds me of kind of the way life used to be before we knew everything that happened in the world instantly when you sat down and watched the news at nine o'clock and that's what informed you and the news was not um, you know heavily editorialized I mean like I said before as an example on the podcast the um, the famine in Ethiopia 1986 everyone um, t- saw that and the next day uh, this famous news report by John Burke I think I think his name was um. Everyone in school saw that, and we all talked about it the next day. And um, our teacher said, "Everybody saw the news. What are we going to do for those poor people in Ethiopia?" And it was the first time, um, as a young person, uh, we became online in consciousness with a consciousness of um, Africa, of colonialism, of all these kind of things. And it was, it was almost like the perfect way in a very dark way. But um, it introduced us to um, a whole new um, gamut of thoughts. Um, that I think, previous to maybe being 11 or 12, um, you should be left to just be uh, a child, I think, before that. But this was a a very dark introduction to all of those things. And from there on, you develop a a cultural or political or social consciousness. And it's very interesting being on tour because you kind of um, fall away from all the bad habits that we've picked up um, over the last 10 years. You don't wake up and instantly you know, check the news, check your phone, Check whatever. To be honest, when you wake up in the morning on the tour bus, you're like, you feel like death, and you go, ugh. And you stumble out and you go, I need to find the toilet, And there's blah. the worst thing is when somebody is waiting around, well, it's not the worst thing, but somebody's waiting around for you to sign something. And of course you're you're not looking your best when you first wake up in the morning and you're got, you know, I've got my blasphemy uh, pool shorts on, uh-huh. um, And an old stinky, dirty, well, I spent most of the tour wearing a sarcophago t-shirt. Is it sarcophago or sarcophago? I say sarcophago. Anyway, this grimy old sarcophago shirt that it just stinks to high heaven. And somebody wants to take a picture and you look like you're still squinting because you just woke up and you're like. Bleh. Anyway, um, that's my diva moment right there for you. At least let me get my, uh, you know, shake and make up and put my face on to meet the public. But anyway, um, so. Your habits almost go back to a place I remember being a, a teenager or a young a young man, and um, before the internet, before you had access to constant bombardment of information, which uh, let's be clear, your lizard brain just cannot cope with. Um, so you kind of detox from messages. You see a message coming in from somebody, and you just go, "You know what? Back in the day, we wrote letters to each other. Um, you don't need to hear from me instantly. You prioritize who's who, you know, who to contact." Um, and you sort of live uh, quite aggressively in the real world again. And it's a really quite um, an invigorating experience. Um, the only other, I mean, uh, everyone has it in their head, like, oh, I'll go to um, some island somewhere, some midge- mystical, mi- midget midge- midge- can you say the word midget anymore? Some mystical, magical island and detox from my phone from two weeks. But most of us know if we went there, um, we wouldn't sit on the beach. We'd sit on the beach looking at our phones. But the point being, being on tour is a perfect way to detox from everything. So, um, of course, then when we get to Vienna, which is Saturday morning, um, people are showing each other footage of, um, you know, Hamas fighters coming across into, uh, into Israel. And because this first image of the hang gliders, it looks... It looks like a real. It, it doesn't look real, if you know what I mean. It does not look real, but looks like a real. It's so fitted into the consciousness of our social media imbibement, you know? And it was in that moment where uh, a very, you know, a kind of sharp prick into the bubble of what touring is um, happened. And we all kind of were like, hang on, wait, what? What happened? Um, and this, these are the kind of event, events, of course, that uh, punctuate, Uh, being on tour, because you've been sort of dropped out of the news cycle. Now, of course, if this was back in the previous days, um, you know, back in the the olden days, you would have seen all of this unfold on the 9 p.m. news. Um, So what I'm trying to sort of say is that being on tour is a strange kind of... um, you live. You do. You live in a bubble, and it's great for a while. But then something happens to bring you back down to reality. Of course, it's a different kind of reality to sitting on the couch, staring out at the rain. But but no sooner had it all begun to happen than people, I suppose, because of the podcast, because of um, the nature of uh, not necessarily what primordial is, but the nature of the kind of commentator I've become uh, in the heavy metal. I've seen people are asking my asking me to comment about this thing, and you're kind of you do feel like hang on, I've been living in this bubble, we just woke up, I need to, um, you know, refamiliarize myself with all these kind of things. Because growing up, of course, um, hearing news about the Middle East was just constant um, in the news. You constantly heard about Beirut and Lebanon, and um, it was just always part of our news. I suppose that very that indicates something very interesting about the way the news cycle is dominated sometimes now by... Um, cultural or social aspects in that those things weren't, they didn't have the time of day, um, the the day-to-day um, sort of um, luxury belief, culture war nonsense that sometimes seems to dominate our news cycle. The news cycle was dominated by um, generally serious heavy things so when you grew up you know of course as same similar to when other people from other countries grew up hearing about the ira or hearing about the troubles in northern ireland we also grew up hearing about the middle east so it's this may have been for maybe younger people i don't know if anybody younger listens to the podcast really i see i see there are some but this may be sometimes the first time in their adult life i um, They've been it's been punctuated by something as serious as this coming from the Middle East because things had been uh, relatively quiet there for a while. Um, but growing up, the the Middle East was always in the news, you know, and I thought to myself, people began to ask me to make comments, um, to make, you know, public comments in the center. And I thought, is this what is really required and needed of me? I think there is a very sometimes a dignity in remaining silent about things and especially. Re um, recalibrating yourself with the history um, because I saw you know quite a few people jump into you know immediately posting flags and an immediate opinion about something um, you know very often kind of new modern um, let's say new leftist people not the old left people as I always say that I belong to healthcare housing education but people um, who it was very interesting to me how many people jumped because of course the first thing you do is you jump online to check and look at this news and go hang on what the fuck is going on in the world um, and it seemed to me that there were quite a lot of people who seemed to have an air of celebration about um, what Hamas did on, on certain sides of the political divide and it was almost in a kind of um, very naive almost like celebrating a sports win or something like this now, should I comment about these kind of things? I don't know. Maybe I should devote a, a podcast uh, to what happened there. But I'm, I'm just, like as I said before, a singer in a heavy metal band. I'm not a historian. But the first thing I did when I um, saw the news was, of course, be aghast at the brutal nature of the entire thing. And I think that that's quite incredible, that the, 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 the different things that people pick and choose to support on their social media and somehow the death of one person seems lesser than the death of another. And people are not horrified by the carnage and the brutality and the rape and murder as they should have been. Um, They seem to sort of justify it based on other, um, you know, spurious, historically illiterate um, understandings of a very, very complicated situation. I can't pretend to understand all the complexities and nuances of it, but I spent all of the last three or four days re-watching, re-reading, re-going through the the Middle Eastern history and how complicated it is. And what I did learn very quickly is that um, this situation between uh, Hamas, Gaza and Israel, um, and yes, I'm now talking about it, even though I said in my notes here, don't talk about this. And what what I saw is that it perfectly fed into um, the tribalism, that is just so rife in modern society. People um, who should know better just instantly picked a side uh, without being, um, maybe um, you know, even-handed in their approach to horror and murder and rape. Um, they picked sides very, very quickly, and if you did not make a comment for one side or the other, um, you must be on the other side. And this is just not how. Um, We should approach this situation. I mean, look—I've said this over 180 odd episodes on the podcast, but this life lives in the grey area between these black and white binary. Issues. I, I refuse to be drawn into this binaries of good versus evil um, I don't believe in that the truth is somewhere in the middle that it's complicated it's great the historic the history is very difficult to com- comprehend if you don't know what the Balfour Declaration is um if you don't understand intifadas even even biblical history oh the Bible blah 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 blah, blah. hey look the Bible was still based in an area in a geographical place with uh, tribes that did actually exist now of course the loaves and the fishes whatever you can fucking contend all that bullshit but there are um, you know you really need to try and understand a complex history before jumping on either side of the band, band, band bandwagon almost instantly but what it did is the whole situation just appealed to our innate tribal nature and people were screaming and shouting at each other from other sides and it, I realised that it is possible to feel incredible sympathy for the people, the normal people of Gaza um, and their everyday troubles um, and, of course, feel incredible empathy for the people who were attacked and murdered in Israel by Hamas. But you can feel both things. You can have a human empathy to both sides of the situation. You don't have to have this binary choice where you form down on either. You can try and understand a piece of column A and take a bit from column B. That's that should be the logical natural thing. But I understand that's almost that seems to be impossible for many people. Um but if you're going to make the decision, then at least be historically literate about what it is that we're looking at. Hamas, of course, um people have made many comparisons with Northern Ireland. Um and some are helpful, some are not helpful. I understand the natural Irish inclination is to um you know it is to, to support Palestine and all that kind of thing. But the Irish situation is complicated. And how many, if you're from Ireland, how many people from the outside have tried to express support for it to you and you've gone, well, I don't, you don't really know what you're talking about, man. And the history, and then when you go, well, there's 800 years of this, people go, what? Hang on, brain breaking. What? Um, you know, uh, William of Orange, who? What? Hang on. It's complicated. So therefore, when it's complicated, we shouldn't jump to the binary choice. We should try and be measured and try and I'm. Um, somehow understand the complexities of the situation. I remember we played with Primordial maybe in 1998. Um, I think it was 1998. could be 97. And there was a huge bombing that day by the IRA. I think in Enniskillen and they killed like 20 or 30 people. Um, I'm just speaking off the top of my head here. I'm not a historian. And we didn't know. We were driving down in a little van and we are playing in Cork And I made some stupid comment like, oh, is there any rebels left in the rebel county? Cork being the county, it's called the rebel county. There was always associated, um, you know, historically going back a hundred odd years um, as the kind of seat of uh, rebellion in the country against English occupation. And this lad in the front of the stage, uh, security guy, I think raised his fist to me and he came later to find me in the pub um, talking to me. And I hadn't, I didn't realise that this bomb had gone off today and he was reveling in it and when I actually f- picked up a newspaper because of course this is pre-internet stuff um, and read it uh, you know or picked up whatever the evening uh, you know you pick up the information from somewhere maybe I have just picked up a paper that evening I was fucking horrified I was like fuck I seemed to I seemed to from the stage of giving a shout out to this horrendous brutal act that had left devastation and, and, and murder and bits of bodies in the streets and I felt fucking terrible I felt a very great pang of consciousness that was like mind what you fucking say on the stage mind what you say now some people of course may go oh, why won't you mind what you say now blah 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 etc I've always tried to at least be even handed about these things on the podcast but I saw in the immediate response to what happened um, with this insane event um, between um, Hamas and Israel I saw people just jumping straight away into the void with both feet going it seemed in an almost celebratory manner and I thought it was a vulgar a vulgar and historically illiterate thing that's maybe more than I should have said on the subject I don't know but what I'm trying to sort of get at was how real life um, punctures this life that you've made for yourself playing in a band and touring and all these kind of things, ultimately you're kind of, um, not that it's insignificant to make art or whatever, but real life comes crashing down. And not just in, as I said, the measure of sitting here, looking out the window at the rain, but somewhere right now there are uh, people trying to flee, um, you know, missiles and bombardments, and there are people being killed. And just making an off-the-cuff remark on social media about it, isn't just isn't good enough for us as a as a species of people who are trying to have empathy and understanding of a situation and trying to become historically uh, at least literate or um, cognizant of how complicated these things are um, I mean are we looking fundamentally at um, possibly a war here with Iran um, I think people have got to think a little bit further than um, the immediate response to what's happening I mean uh, uh, you know certainly the war in Ukraine, uh, killed COVID and now this this war has probably killed the war in Ukraine and I think Zelensky must be thinking he needs a bigger drum um, to bang to get uh, to you know reclaim some, um, some some space for the tragedy that's happening in Ukraine at the same time um, or gets involved somehow in this in this you know in the the media sphere of, of this of this war um, but is the intention eventually war with Iran um, I mean I think there has to be some vision of what happens after how the, the reconstruction of gas and all that kind of stuff. What happens afterwards? I mean, I did write um, an essay before the tour started uh, called Should Metal Have a, a, soci- a Social, Cultural, Political Conscience? I mean, should it? Should we have... Should be metal be required to have that? Um, I think the answer is no. Metal shouldn't. If you choose to, you choose to. But... Um, these events and this tour were a perfect kind of dichotomy of those two things. Because I'm sitting here now, several days after the tour, and I look at the tour laminate in front of me and go, "Think of all the fucking great times we had." And I think, uh, "Well, should I comment on the oh, what how this cool thing happened in Prague and etc. The best gig was this, or should I divide the podcast for whatever it's worth between having some form of a political conscience or social commentary with?" Um, some, you know, mindless tour anecdotes. Um, It's problematic. It's problematic and it's complicated. And I would just advise um, before people make their decisions to try and um, get maybe some unbiased um, links to explanations of the the situation in the Middle East, just as I would have said to people who made comments back in the day about um, what happened in Northern Ireland um, to maybe try and understand a little bit of Irish history before, you know, if you were an American, um, who, I remember my uncle told me a story about he was in New York, he was living in New York for a while in nineteen mid nineteen eighties, and he met a guy playing pool. He goes, well, you know, we give money for the cause, um, you know, a lot of Americans um supported, um, you know, the cause as in the IRA back in the eighties, and my uncle just went, well, you know, your the cause you're um supporting is You know, murdering of people and this and that and the other and he just sort of said to him it's easy for you to say that when you're over here but there's people living in um, living in dire situations and living with the consequences of what's happening and he just said this guy was just dumbstruck he just assumed that all Irish people would be hoo-ha and bravado about the cause Um, and my uncle certainly was not one of them um, as he'd spent a while living in you know in the north of Ireland as well and he just sort of said to him like look it's way more complicated than that and sometimes I think about those things only that was just a conversation in a bar around a pool table, framed by a couple of beers where my uncle could um, then, you know, talk, chat to this guy and, and his friend and just be like, um, and get over the anger moment where he's like, who the fuck do you think you are? You don't, you know, don't take our patronage, etc., our financial patronage. And, you know, there's this thing called NORAID, which was like a, um, I think was like, a, if I'm not wrong, um, not NORAD, NORAID which was Americans giving money um, for the, uh, to, the, to the Republican cause in the north of Ireland. And he just sort of, um, they sat and, this is his, as he tells me, they sort of dissuaded them from some of the arguments, um, which at the end of the day, it's easy to, um, to jump into those arguments and make a binary choice because it's not, um, you, you know, it's not bits of bodies that you were seeing on the streets, etc. Anyway. A serious note to end the podcast on. Maybe I shouldn't have gone into any of that kind of stuff. It just happens to be the news story cycle that bursts the bubble of the touring touring cycle. And it's a very, very strange, odd and interesting and darkly familiar and depressing um, sort of note to come crashing down to reality on. Anyway, my friends, Agitators Anonymous... Episode 180-something. Until next week.